0: Friends, this morning I want to talk to you about the kind of preparation that a young man ought to undertake in order to enter into the covenant of marriage. This is a question that our young people often raise. Uh, How do I know that I'm ready to pursue a spouse? And I want to submit to you that if you're Asking that question, then you're already way ahead of the people who don't think that this is an important question Or simply assume that they were born ready If you think that no preparation is necessary for a Christian marriage Then I have serious concerns Whether you understand Who a Christian is And what marriage is If you have attended a Christian wedding, and I'm assuming that many, if not most of you have, and if you were paying attention, then you should remember these words as the minister describes marriage as holy. He describes it as that which is commended in God's word to be honorable among all, and therefore is not to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly but reverently, discreetly, soberly, and in the fear of God. In other words, not without serious preparation. Hence the title of the sermon is called Biblical Readiness for Marriage. And while I want to uh, address mainly the, the single or unmarried men, men in this congregation, men who desire to be married, I trust that all of you will find uh, God's Word useful as we, as we look at it and apply it to our own souls. Now, if you're new to Grace Church, or if this is your first time with us, then you should know that this is not what we typically do in our services. Our regular diet here at Grace Church consists of expository preaching. Expository preaching is where the point of the text is the point of the sermon, and we usually preach through books of the Bible. So we just finished preaching through a series in Daniel but from time to time uh, we find it useful and even appropriate to hear topical preaching a topical sermon like the one you're about to hear now is one where we will consider what the bible says about a particular subject or topic and today we'll consider what biblical readiness for marriage looks like for men and next week we'll consider together what that looks like for a woman who desires to be married so please keep your bibles open And be prepared to turn to several portions of Scripture as we consider this subject together. But before we do that, let's ask the Lord for His help as we approach His Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would give us insight according to Your Word so that our hearts and minds would be shaped and formed by Christ and not by the world around us. Teach us what faithfulness looks like and what it looks like to walk in Christ-like love and humility. Equip us with everything that we need to do what is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you want to know what the world thinks are important qualifications in a man who is pursuing marriage, look no further than the matrimonial ads. So here are some adjectives and Achievements that men in particular think that you need to know about them. You ready? Here we go. Very handsome. (laughs) Very fair. Fair, beautiful as fairy. I'm not making this up. (laughs) Very beautiful. Cultured. Highly decent. High profile. Huge palatial home, well settled, non-smoker, non-slim, soft-spoken, humorous, this one's my favorite, grammar friendly, hygienic, nice smelling, affluent, borderline affluent, no transmittable or communicable disease. (laughs) But those ads are so Asian, you might say, surely the Westerners are far more sensible. Well, here's one from the Pittsburgh press in 1921 in the United States, days before match and Tinder, a gentleman, a true American. Believes in God, ambitious, industrious, in good health, clean habits, has a college education. Doesn't sound so different, does it? You know, these men obviously think they're ready, and they have a whole list of qualifications and achievements that makes them believe that they are ready. Brothers, in order to understand what readiness for marriage means, we must understand what marriage is and what readiness is. And to think rightly about this as people of God, as Christians, we must look to the word and not to the culture around us. As Christians, we must put off worldly thinking in all its cultural flavors, no matter where you're from, and put on the mind of Christ. So before we begin, let me give you three reasons why we must do that. Three reasons. After all, God cares about this area of your life, and his word has plenty to say about it. So if you're sitting there wondering why make such a big deal? Why all this talk about preparation? Here's three biblical reasons. Reason number one, everything we must do, we must do for God's glory. First Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, including thinking about what makes you ready for marriage. Everything that we do for God's glory to make much of him requires us to trust and obey his word out of a heart that has been made alive in Jesus Christ. Reason number two, conforming to the culture, thinking the way the world thinks, or your parents or your grandparents or whatever tradition you come from, conforming to the culture does not please God. Romans 12, one to two, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, if you're trusting in the sovereign grace of God as revealed to us in the gospel, then we ought to offer our lives to God in a way that is acceptable to him. So just like those sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be offered on God's terms alone, so too we, when we trust and obey God's word, when we change the way we think and act in faith, we offer what is holy and acceptable to God. And that is true worship. So I really don't care what they think about readiness for marriage in Cebu or Cochin or Coimbatore or Chicago. I care about what God thinks and so should you. Besides, we know what God thinks about the wisdom of the world. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Reason number three. God has commanded that we regard marriage as holy and hold it in honor. Holy and honorable. Hebrews 13.4 Let marriage be held in honor, that's in high esteem among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled or untainted. You know, that is a ceremonial term, uh, hearkening back to temple worship. It means to be unstained by sin. Marriage is holy, so let it be held in honor for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now, when you carefully consider the context of that verse Hebrews 13 verse 4 you look carefully at the context of Hebrews 13 you will see that it is talking about worship and that is essentially what worship is to look to God's word and to respond accordingly to live by faith under his saving rule and we are to do so with great thankfulness so a couple of verses earlier Hebrews 12 28 to 29 The writer says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, in this way, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what does acceptable worship look like in light of believing the gospel? Well, it looks like Hebrews chapter 13, which outlines for us all the kinds of sacrifices that New Covenant Christians are called to offer. We're not called to slaughter bulls and goats. No, we're called to faith and obedience. And so in Hebrews 13 verse 4, he says, As an example, let marriage be held in honor. So brothers, thinking about marriage is thinking about what acceptable Christ-centered worship looks like in one facet of of your Christian life. So that's three reasons why this is something worth your preparation. Any man who goes to a job interview prepares for that interview. If you travel to a foreign country, you prepare. If you want to be a surgeon, you're going to spend years of study and preparation. Brothers, marriage warrants preparation. The Puritan William Secker said these sobering words about marriage He said, it is the tying of such a knot that nothing but death can unloose. It is something to be considered with utmost seriousness. But what do I mean by readiness? How do I know that I'm ready? Someone might ask. Well, readiness does not mean perfection. That you have to have marriage completely figured out. That's not a biblical expectation to have. That's not biblical readiness. We are sinners saved by grace, and the Lord is still working in us, and we will have to contend with our sinful flesh and foolish thoughts until the day we die. And there will be things that you can only learn to deal with once you're married. So there are things that you will have to learn on the job, so to speak. So I'm not talking about perfection or reading every marriage book under the sun. No, biblical readiness... And this is about as close to a definition as we'll get. Biblical readiness is the pursuit of evident Christ-likeness in the body of Christ that will enable a man to thrive in a Christian marriage to the glory of God. And say that again. Biblical readiness is the pursuit of evident Christ-likeness. So it's not just about what you think you're doing, it should be evident to people. Biblical readiness is the pursuit of evident Christ-likeness in the body of Christ that will enable a man to thrive in a Christian marriage to the glory of God. And I'm going to spend the rest of our time together to try and flesh that out for you. So as we consider readiness, here are four areas, four areas, there's many things that we can talk about, but at the very least, here's four areas that you as men Ought to rightly think about and work at. So, rightly think about and work at in order to prepare yourselves, in order to be biblically ready. You ready? All right, let's go. Number one, think biblically about your identity and calling. Think biblically about your identity and calling. Brothers, this is the most basic thing to consider. You are men. made in the image of our triune god and god your creator who designed you with infinite wisdom and love has called you to live out your masculinity or manhood in specific ways so turn with me to genesis 1 26 to 28 genesis 1 26 to 28 stay in genesis we'll look at other passages in genesis 2 genesis 1 26 to 28 then god said Let us make man or mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion have rule exercise lordship over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth now while this mandate is given to both men and women i want you to see how this applies to you specifically as a man brothers god created men to image him to glorify Him with our lives in everything that we do Adam was created to be a a vice-regent to be a Lord to exercise loving dominion and care over everything that God had created Uh, he is even given the task of exercising authority by naming the animals even naming his wife so always remember this we do not arrive at our identity by listening to our feelings and desires. We do not arrive at our identity by listening to the culture around us. We do not arrive at our identity by conforming to what is fashionable or hip in our generation. No, our identity is given to us by our maker, by God. He made us, he made us. Look at Genesis two, seven to eight. Then the Lord God, Formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Brothers, he not only made us, he made us to be dependent on him. We are covenantal creatures, which means we thrive and flourish when we trust and obey his word. Look at verse 8 And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Look down at verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you can see how true life and flourishing for men comes by trusting and obeying God's word. Notice what the man was called to do, to work it and keep it, the garden. The garden is this space in which God comes to commune with Adam, and Adam is called not just to rule and subdue, but also to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, This is why the Lord gives him a a helper. Uh, This means to have lots of children, to have more image bearers, to to glorify God and fill the earth with, with men and women. But he's also called to a priestly duty, or dare I even say, a pastoral duty. You see, those terms work and keep are often used to describe the work of priests in the Old Testament. And so every man is called, in a sense, in a sense to be like a priest, which practically looks a lot like gardening. That's where he's put, to work and keep the garden right so practically that's what we're called to do planting cultivating caring nurturing men are called to rule and subdue not as tyrants but by providing protecting exercising watchfulness sustaining brothers wherever god has placed you this is fundamentally how you as men ought to be exercising godliness and in doing so, you are being manly. You are being manly. You see, men and women will care and nurture in different ways. But, but you should get it out of your head that caring and nurturing is only a woman's job. You know, if you get married one day, your wife will care and nurture your children. But you, as the head of your home, you are the chief nurturing officer it's your job to sow the seeds of the word to shepherd the heart of your wife to instruct your children in the ways of the lord and to do it all in prayerful dependence on god's word but i think we would be greatly amiss if we stopped here and and forget that adam failed in his calling and mandate you remember genesis 3 satan crept into the garden on adam's watch And he deceived Eve. Adam turned out to be a poor watchman. Both of them ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And they did this because they were not content with their God-given calling and identity. Remember, they desired to be like God. And as a result of that blasphemous rebellion, God judged them and drove them out of the garden. Adam's sin plunged the entire human race into sin because he was our federal head. And as a result of this, every human being inherits Adam's sinful nature and guilt. Or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, In Adam, all die. We stand condemned. But friends, praise God. God didn't leave us like that. He didn't leave us in our sin. In the fullness of time, He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what Adam failed to do. You know, Jesus, who is the Son of God come in the flesh, came into our world to save sinners. He perfectly fulfilled his mandate. He perfectly obeyed God and trusted his word. He faithfully executed his task, even to the point of death on the cross. And then he died in our place, taking our sins upon himself so that whoever repents of their sins and puts their trust in him can have their sins forgiven so that they can be reconciled to God and receive eternal life. And on the third day he rose from the dead to give us new hearts so that we might now desire to obey him and do all things for his glory, including rightly thinking about what readiness for marriage means. You see, apart from Christ, we cannot please God. Anything that is done Even if it is a good thing. So if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear this. Anything that we do, even if it is a good thing, if it's not done in dependence on Christ, out of a heart that is trusting in Him, it is sinful and displeasing in God's sight. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, not some generic faith, faith in in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But friends, the good news is, that if you turn away from your sin, your own ideas of righteousness, whatever you think that might be, and you put your trust in Jesus's saving death, you will be saved. And you can live a life that is pleasing to him. So if you don't know Jesus, repent of your sins and put your trust in him. You see, even though Adam's calling before the fall tells us what men are called to do we must remember that on this side of the cross in light of what jesus has accomplished we must look at what men are called to do christologically see our task is not to to try and accomplish what adam failed to do jesus has already done that our task is to trust in the finished work of jesus the second adam look at the second adam and pursue Christ's likeness, to walk in love, to 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 walk in the obedience of faith, and to realize that God is calling us not just to be men, but Christ-like men. He's calling us to be Christian men, and that means to imitate the Great Shepherd Himself, to provide, to protect, to be lords as well as servants to lead, to trust in the word of God, even in the face of great opposition. To be fruitful and multiply, not merely by, by having more children, but by making disciples from all nations. Because that, that's what that mandate anticipated, to create new image bearers who will spread God's glory. And this Christ has accomplished through his new creation work in the cross. And so our task is to speak the gospel to all people. to to exercise loving dominion or leadership wherever God has placed us in our homes or in our workplaces and churches, whether in small ways or significant ways. So there is a sense, brothers, in which you can say, you start getting ready for marriage by not getting ready for marriage. Let's say that again. There's a sense in which you can say, You can start getting ready for marriage by not getting ready for marriage. By learning what it means to be a Christian man who understands that his identity is in Christ, that he is called to live in community, that he is called to grow in Christ's likeness as a man. So first of all, brothers, be spiritual men. Be men who delight in God's word. How can you glorify God? If you don't know God's word, if you don't delight in his word and obey it, how can you be transformed by the power of the spirit and overcome the weeds of sin and and put on Christ without knowing his word? You know, at this point, I'm sure this is sounding a lot like ordinary Christian growth, ordinary Christian sanctification. And you're right. Listen to Colossians 2, 6 to 8. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, what you need spiritually in order to be a Christian husband, God equips you as a Christian man your saving relationship, your covenant with Christ prepares you for your covenant with your future wife. You know, the Puritans used to put it like this. Thomas Manton said, we must be married to Christ before being married to one another. Does that make sense? We must be married to Christ before being married to one another. So brothers, as you think about readiness, I wanna ask you, how are you doing as a Christian? How are you doing spiritually as a member of this congregation? Are you growing? Are you growing in Christ's likeness? And if you are, how can you tell? Do you know what that looks like? Brothers, are you ministering to the spiritual needs of others? And by that, I don't mean are you giving rides to people? Well, thank you for doing that. We do need to care for practical needs, but are you ministering? Are you shepherding the hearts of others? Are you doing what Christ has called you to do as Christian men? Are you doing what Adam in the garden was supposed to do? You know, laboring to cultivate, nurture, to make things grow. Are you discipling other men? Again, I don't mean sitting together and confessing your sins to one another, although that's great. What are you doing about your sins? As Christian men, are you exercising dominion over your sin? Because now... You have a new master. Sin has no more dominion over you. Christ is your master. You're a bondservant of Christ. What are you doing about that sin? Are you putting it to death? Are you growing in holiness? Ephesians 5, 26 to 27 says that husbands are called to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and they must labor for the sanctification of their wives by washing them with the word. Now, how are you going to do that if you're not familiar with that kind of washing? If you're not growing in your ability to apply the word first to your own heart and then to the hearts of others in the church? How will you instruct your future children if you consider teaching children in the congregation a somewhat less glamorous ministry listen marriage and parenting these are not glamorous tasks you won't become a celebrity Christian for doing that it's very ordinary it's messy it's hard it's painful but brothers it's glorious it annoys demons it annoys the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and it's a profound privilege and the Lord's grace is more than sufficient for those tasks. Brothers, are you demonstrating Christ-like love by denying yourself in order to disciple others? Joel Beakey writes, How can a man be a faithful husband to his wife if he lacks the example of Christ's headship towards him? How can a man be a good father to his children if he fails to understand the example of God's fatherhood? To lay the foundation for his faithfulness as husband and father in marriage, a man must first surrender himself to the love, care, and headship of Christ before he seeks a spouse. Brothers, I have news for you. This should be obvious, but maybe it's not. Christ-like women want Christ-like men because they love Christ. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Christ-like women want Christ-like men because they love Christ. That's what godly women find attractive. But here's a warning. Don't strive for Christ-likeness just because you want a spouse. That's a sinful pursuit. The goal is not marriage. The goal should not be to get the girl. The goal should be the glory of God. Remember your identity and calling If you understand that the aim of your life is to please God, to glorify God, then you will think about marriage rightly. You'll have a very different set of criteria as you think about who to marry. You'll start to think, who can I marry that will help me glorify God better? Because that's your goal. Goal is not marriage. Who can I marry? Who can I bring into partnership to help me achieve that goal? See, marriage is finding The right partner for that mission for that mission the glory of god should be the goal marriage is not the goal the glory of god should be the goal number two think biblically about your work brothers how are you thinking about your work what is your attitude towards work remember work is a good thing god put adam to work before the fall Because of the curse on the ground and our sin, work has been made hard, hasn't it? Genesis 3, 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you were dust and to dust you shall return. If your job is frustrating, then understand that this is what it means to work in a fallen world. It ought to be a reminder to us of our sin and it ought to turn our hearts to remember what Christ has done for us. Brothers, it is very unchristlike like not to work. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 See, Christian men are called to labor and subdue the earth, to work well, To become good at what we do we ought to remember that irrespective of what we do because we are christians we serve christ and therefore and therefore our satisfaction is not what matters do you see how that works we're called to serve christ and therefore our satisfaction is not what matters what matters is his glory and how our work serves others right this is, this is what it means to be a New covenant Christian, to view work in light of the cross. We work for God. And as we work for God out of our love for Him, that love spills over horizontally. It benefits, it blesses others. It blesses your family, it blesses your church. Look at Colossians 3:22 to 24. Colossians 3:22 to 24. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Or Ephesians 6, 6-7 to puts it like this. We are to work as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Notice in both those texts, Colossians 3, Ephesians 6, right? In both those texts, it is your relationship with Jesus that determines your attitude at work. We are to work heartily, not primarily for ourselves or our families, but for the Lord. And there's a promise attached to this command. You will receive the inheritance as your reward. What's that? The inheritance is the land of the new earth. Brothers, do you think of your work in this way? You know, if you're not thinking of your work in this way, then you will make a very ungodly provider. You will make a very ungodly provider if you don't think of your work in this way. Here's an example of an ungodly provider. Philip comes home after a hard day's work, and his wife tells him that he does not have enough time for her or the kids, that he hasn't attended their Bible study in months, nor does he have any time for any other men in the church. And what's Philip's response? I work so hard, and this is what I get. Don't you know I'm doing all of this for you and for the kids? That's precisely the problem, isn't it? He's doing all of it for the, for the wrong reasons. He's not doing it for God. He's taken his eyes off his Savior and his eternal reward. Brothers, if you don't work for God's glory out of a love for him, you won't be able to love others. You won't be able to serve others well, including your church, your future wife, your children. In fact, you will end up neglecting your responsibilities to your family and to your church. Brother, you are a Christian man. You're a disciple you are called to take up a cross and follow jesus and that means in this path of obedience this privileged calling to be a member to be a husband to be a father you are called to tread a hard path in this world so remember that work in a fallen world is hard but give thanks to god that he has mercifully given you a job work for his glory Pray to Him for grace and strength. Meditate regularly on His word so that you can fill your mind with the goodness of His grace. And when you come home, remember that you don't stop being a Christian. We are called to faithful obedience in every sphere of our lives. So don't complain or whine or grumble. God put a whole generation of people to death for doing that. Be a man. Be a Christian man, a man who's not afraid of hard work. Be a man who will lay down his life to see others flourish under his leadership. That's a Christian man. That's a man who understands his savior. Think about those word pictures that Paul uses to describe the ordinary ministry of discipleship in 2 Timothy 2. How does he describe those men? As soldiers, as athletes, hardworking farmers. Do those professions sound like men who have lots of free time on their hands? Brothers, remember that you are laboring for the world to come. You are laboring for the world to come. The Apostle Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And even as he said that, he modeled something for us so that we can understand that God glorifying work actually enables godliness and blesses others. Listen to Acts 20, 34 to 35. Acts 20, 34 to 35. Paul says, You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a good thing to think about when you come home from work. To Remember that the Lord Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now you could say well Paul was doing work. He was doing gospel work. Did he not have a right to receive a salary from the church? He knew that. He commanded pastors to receive a salary from the church. But why didn't he do it? 2 Thessalonians 3.9 He says, It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So clearly, Paul wants every Christian man to work hard to the glory of God and not be idle. Number three think biblically about marriage think biblically about marriage you heard pastor sam uh, speak about this before the pastoral prayer marriage is a covenant relationship we get that from malachi two fourteen. it's designed by god to be a lifelong loving commitment of one man to one woman a one flesh union that is meant to display to the world a picture of christ's covenant keeping love for his bride, the church. Paul teaches us that in Ephesians 5 31 to 32, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You know sadly many young Christian men think of marriage as nothing more than a milestone to be achieved, as though marriage was a right. Or simply a legal and socially acceptable way of having lots of guilt-free sex. In other words, they think of this holy relationship as nothing more than having a long-term roommate with sexual benefits. But, But isn't that important? Doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, it is better to marry than to burn with passion? Well, friends, to burn with passion simply means to have strong sexual desires. It does not mean, and listen carefully, it does not mean that if you are giving in to the sin of lust, if you're regularly watching pornography and are unrepentant, And you're unwilling to not just do the hard work of guarding your mind and fleeing from temptation, but you're also unwilling to put on Christ, to give yourself to long hours of meditation and prayer, possibly even fasting, to fight the good fight of faith. It does not mean, if this describes you in your life, that's your state, it doesn't mean you automatically qualify for marriage. Or that marriage will magically cure your sin of lust. Brothers, marriage is not some kind of rehabilitation center for your sexual greed. It's not meant to be a reward for your sinning. Marriage will not fix your sin problem. Only Jesus is your savior, not your spouse. Anyone who thinks like that will find out very soon that your sinful heart will continue to give in to sexual immorality even after you're married because you haven't dealt with the real problem. If you use pornography to fulfill your sexual greed, then you will not serve your spouse and her needs, but you will end up using her in the same way. And brothers, that is not what God-glorifying marriage is. Brothers, God wants you to pursue sexual purity and self-control. God wants that for every believer. This is his will for you as a Christian man. Listen to First Thessalonians 4, 3-5. to For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. Where have you heard those two adjectives before? Holiness and honor. This is how marriage is described, isn't it? Hebrews 13, 4. Holiness and honor. Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. First Thessalonians 4, 7-8. to eight, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Brothers Christ has freed you from the power of sin. Remember that. Remember the gospel. Sin is no longer your master. You can say no to the flesh. No to sexual temptation. You can pursue sexual purity in the power of the spirit. Remember what scripture says, the work of the flesh, the works of the flesh is sexual immorality, but the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5:23 is what? Self-control. So repent. And ask the Lord for forgiveness. Ask him to cleanse you of your sin. Give no opportunity for the flesh. Remember the gospel and grow in the knowledge of Christ. Live by the Spirit. Give heed to his words and you will crucify the desires of the flesh. Grow in your love for Christ and it will kill your love for sin. Brothers, how can you be a faithful husband if you're already committing adultery in your heart now? Doesn't Jesus say in Matthew five twenty eight that he who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart? If you're not growing in self-control now, how will you be able to exercise self-control in marriage by putting her desires first? You see, when you get married, you will find out very soon. And I want to add a qualification here. I'm generalizing a bit. It's not always the case. But when you get married, you will find very soon that as a man, your desires for sex will be greater than hers. And there will be days when she will be so exhausted taking care of your little children that the God-glorifying, Christ-like response should be, you are more important to me than sex. Let me serve you so that you can rest. Will you be able to deny yourself like that? Brothers, remember that in a marriage, a Christian husband is called to be the head of his home, to love his wife with a Christ-like love, a self-denying love, not with the fundamental aim of you getting the most out of that relationship, but by her becoming more Christ-like. That's your job description. You are to work so that she becomes more Christ-like. You are called to shepherd her with the word and the wife is called to respect and submit to her husband. That's Ephesians 5:24 and 33. So brothers, remember that this is a matter of pursuing Christ's likeness. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. That means under your leadership, she must flourish spiritually. You must wash her with the word. Remember that Jesus died for his church so that he could Present her without blemish or spot or wrinkle. And remember, the woman you will marry is like the church, a sinner, full of blemishes and spots and wrinkles. But under your spiritual leadership and love, she ought to grow in holiness and become more Christ-like. You know, she should be able to say one day, because of this man that the Lord gave me, I grew to love my Savior more. Will she be able to say that? You will have a part in that. What a privilege. Brothers, are you engaging in that kind of ministry now? In that kind of word ministry now? Are you committed to loving relationships with other brothers and families in the church? Are you a man of the word? And are you a man of your word? Do you keep your promises? Are you trustworthy? Can people rely on you? Would your pastor say of you, you know, that brother doesn't make any excuses. He always owns up to his faults and he makes every effort to change. He always takes responsibility and is willing to learn to do whatever it takes to please his Savior. Brothers, those are the traits. Those are the traits that will enable you, by God's grace, to exercise both headship or lordship And servanthood as a Christian husband Paul in his letter to Titus not only exhorts the young men to be self-controlled but he also tells Titus to model for them to be rich in good works to pursue doctrinal integrity and to have sound speech that's Titus 2 6 to 8 so brothers are you growing in those areas what initiatives have you taken to pursue growth in those areas Isn't that what lies at the heart of leadership or headship? To take initiative and not be passive? Now, I love how how friendly our single men are. I mean, you guys are probably the friendliest people I know. You make it a point to to reach out to newcomers. You're so hospitable. You're you're quick to extend a welcome. Brothers, I commend you for that. I think the rest of the congregation can learn from your example. But I want you to ask yourself, to what end am I engaging in these conversations and these relationships? Brothers, I want to encourage you to go beyond superficial conversations. Engage in those hard heart conversations in which you will find encouragement for your own souls, as well as you'll be able to minister the word to the souls of others. So invest time, trust in the Lord, and labor to see spiritual growth in others. You know, I know you men well enough to know that you care about doctrinal integrity. But if the truth of God's word, as you you engage with it week after week, whether through your Bible studies or your book readings, if it's only making your heads bigger, filling you with more information and not moving your affections, not transforming the way you speak and your very life, then it's not glorifying to God. You know, there's something very wrong if that happens. There's something very wrong in the way you're approaching your study. You're not really understanding what that particular doctrine means. So speak to your elders about that. Speak to your elders and be willing to learn. Brother, are you a teachable man? Are you a teachable man who thrives under godly authority? Are you quick to repent or are you always defensive and critical? Are you the kind of man that a godly woman will submit to and follow? Are you the kind of man that a godly woman would be able to respect? Are you modeling for others what it means to submit to Christ and follow him? If you don't submit to Christ and follow him, why should you expect that a woman will submit to you and follow you? Number four, finally think biblically about the church. Think biblically about the church. And by this, I don't mean you need to understand all the ins and outs of church polity in order to be ready to marry. That's not what I mean. No, what what I mean is, do you understand what Christian life is all about? Do you understand what covenant life looks like? What covenanting together looks like in a local church? Brothers, do you understand the spiritual significance of your membership? Marriage is a temporary institution that God has ordained for this age only. Jesus said that in the resurrection we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. That's Matthew 22, verse 30. Marriage is meant to be a living parable that points us to a permanent reality, that eternal relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And, brothers, you're already a member of that body. You have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you've been united to Christ your head. And you know this, that the body does not consist of one member but many. Now that spiritual reality is meant to be lived out in faith as a member of a local church. So if marriage is meant to display God's glory in the gospel, shouldn't you be preparing for the covenant of marriage by living a covenant life well? with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Think with me. If a young man says, oh, I understand that God has gifted every member with a spiritual gift. I understand that he's called us to serve one another, to speak the truth in love to one another, to build up the body. We are called to counsel, to exhort, to give cheerfully and in that way provide for others, to set an example, to demonstrate self-denying Christ-like love, to demonstrate sound speech. He says all that, but he never gets around to doing any of those things. How can you have confidence that this brother will faithfully do all those things as an act of worship in the context of marriage? Brothers, remember that single you will be the married you. Single you will be the married you. But there's hope there's hope. By the grace of God, brothers, you can change. You can change because Christ has purchased all that you need to grow in godliness. So take heart. Seek first the kingdom of God. Consider how God has called you to live in faithful obedience towards other brothers and sisters. Are you growing in grace? Are you growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is this evident to people around you? Is it evident Are you careful in the way that you relate to your sisters in Christ? What would other mature members say about your interactions with them? Are you careful with your words, not to lead them on or provoke them to sin? Do you engage in foolish, unedifying talk? Or would a young godly woman regard you as thoughtful? respectful and a sober-minded brother whose aim is to always draw attention away from himself and point people to Jesus. Brothers, do you meditate often on the forgiveness that you have received in Christ? Do You set your mind on things above. Do you soak your minds in scripture so that you can put off all that is earthly, anger, foolish talk, sexual immorality, impatience, pride do you put these off and put on the new self which is being renewed after the image of your creator your savior jesus look at colossians 3 12 to 13 colossians 3 12 to 13 it's that passage we read earlier paul says this put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive brothers are you growing in these graces don't trust your evaluation of yourself because most often we are blind to our shortcomings Remember that your profession of faith is meant to be validated by this group of people with whom you've covenanted with. This group of people who are committed in love to your spiritual well-being. So ask other members. Don't ask other singles like you. Speak to older men and women, those who are mature in the faith and have a firm grasp of his word. Men and women who model these qualities, go to them, learn and imitate their faith. You know, all these qualities that you see here in Colossians 3, kindness, humility, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, you know, all of this can be boiled down to Christ-like love. Love is kind. Love is patient. It doesn't wink at sin. It rejoices in the truth. It is not arrogant. Brothers, this is what prepares you for marriage. A faithful commitment to growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ that bears fruit, fruit that can be seen in your relationships with other members. So ask mature Christians in this congregation whether they see those evidences of grace in you. And if they do, be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. The Lord is answering your prayers and our prayers. So strive to grow as a Christian man and you will be ready by God's grace, Lord willing, to have and to hold for better or for worse brothers jesus loves his church and so should you remember that through the church he has determined to make known his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that's Ephesians 3:10 so get caught up with that get excited about that and you will be ready for anything now if you're a married man If you were never disciple like this, or you never knew that this is what Christ-like manhood looks like, brothers, it's not too late. Repent and change. Come and speak to your elders, and we would love to help you grow up in every way into Christ. I want to say a brief word to the, the single women, unmarried women, even widows, those who desire to be married. Sisters, look for these qualities. In a man look for these qualities in a man don't settle for anything less and then to all the members remember that you have a stake in the lives of these single men these brothers so love them well by ministering the word to them have hard conversations point out sin and shepherd their hearts towards christ pray for them love them encourage them watch over them finally brothers As your pastors, all the single guys, as your pastors, we love you. You guys are the most fun guys to be around. I mean, you're a real riot. And my heart for you is the heart of a father who wants to see his sons thrive spiritually for the glory of God. Be Christ-like men. Men who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, for our savior, for all that he has done for us. Forbid it, Lord, that we should boast in anything other than the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, keep our eyes fixed on our savior, that we would look forward to the glory to come and that we would labor and serve faithfully, not in our own strength, but looking to Jesus, trusting in your word And be willing to face whatever hardship or opposition that comes our way. Lord, give us the strength to be relentlessly obedient and faithful. Give us strength. Give us hope. Cause us to be loving men. Christ-like men. For your glory we pray.